Welcome to the Entry Level Left. My name is Nathan. I'm Jared. I'm Matt. And tonight we're talking about the workplace under capitalism. In the past, we did talk a little bit about labor, but we wanted to revisit these kind of ideas and talk a little bit about the kind of workplace culture that capitalism encourages. We're going to jump right into that, asking the very basic question, why work in the first place? Obviously, this has a lot to do with, you know, the concept of modes of production, like we talk about, like in in terms of like, uh, you know, society, modern society, we've kind of settled into agrarian societies where we grow our own food. We don't have to constantly like follow a nomadic lifestyle. So with the advent of that, we're kind of like set in this modern society where we kind of have to work to produce. So I think people should understand that it's like work, labor, and creativity are intrinsically tied and they're very important to human beings and the way we socialize and the way that we gain fulfillment and actualize ourselves. So obviously work is something very important regardless of whether it's under socialism or capitalism. The The problem is like how you produce and who's reaping the, the benefits from that. Like is it uh, are we producing for need, of, as we've talked about before, are we producing for competition in a free market? So, you know, why we have to work, you know, depends kind of like on the system. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we're going to have to work either way, most likely, because, you know, that's a part of being, you know, a human in modern society. But the problem is more in relation to the mode of production in which we live. Right. Yeah. I think, too, you know, it's like, if you could even better refine this question, it's like, why do we work or why do we have to work under capitalism? Right. Because we've always worked in some way or another. We're always going to work in some form of another, you know, even when we talk about like a world without work, you know, and automation and all that sort of stuff, it's like, you're still, you know, it's not that you're not going to work anymore. It's that the work that you do is going to change. Your work might be more leisure oriented or arts focused or, you know, you name it, but why do we work under capitalism? you know, it's kind of as Matt was saying, there's kind of this evolutionary process to it. It's like, you know, you have the advent of the agricultural revolution and sedentary societies and working for need and then having surplus product that leads to, you know, the more advanced development trade of societies, and, yeah. trade, feudalism to capitalism. And why, when we say, why do we work under capitalism? There is only one reason why we work, and that's to Obtain the value form. Yes. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? to, and what, what that means is to essentially to produce products through our own labor that are then in turn sold on the market for a profit of a particular capitalist. And in turn, we receive a wage that is intended to sustain our housing, our health care, our education, so on and so forth. So, so it's like the marketizing. So why do we work? It hasn't changed that much in the sense that we're still working to provide a set of needs, but who and what we are working for and why we're doing, you know, excess work or what have yeah. you has changed throughout. Time. It has to do with like the market. You know what yes. I mean? Like we've talked about before. Capitalism explicitly creates a market for everything. Everything becomes a commodity. Even the labor themselves becomes yeah. a commodity. And I think it's sort of important to dispel this, like, uh, this libertarian or capitalist myth that, you know, all actions and all things under capitalism are just voluntary 
trades or voluntary exchanges of uh, either material or labor or service or things like that. Like you have a choice. Yeah, because, you know, if you take capitalism, sort of dissect it from a macroeconomic level, you kind of see that not only is work necessitated to be able to like sustain yourself in a market to be able to purchase goods and purchase products and, and, you know, housing and things that people need to reproduce their lives in society. But you're also, you're also being forced to do those things because you can't really get away from the system. Like, you know what I mean? Like without prior capital or without some type of inheritance, you are pretty much forced into this system that is very much not voluntary yeah, yeah. to be able to reproduce and obtain the products of society that you need because of the way things are distributed. Yeah, I mean, it's like a very natural, logical progression. It's like when the average person turns 18, they leave home, they have nothing. There's nothing right. for them to sell. They own nothing. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they start renting. Well, they need a they need a paycheck to get rent. So what are they going to do? They got to work. Okay. Well, they also got to take on a car loan because how how the hell are you going to get to work right. without a car? Well, and all these things where stack we live. up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All these things stack up just so quickly. The only thing you have to sell is your labor. You know, yeah. you have no power beyond that, and so it really creates this dynamic of work in, or die yeah. in the you market. Know, there's nothing else to do. Yeah. Yeah. In terms yeah. of the marketplace, yeah, you really, you know, a lot of people, most people are working class, and so. We really only have our time and our labor to be able to sell. We have no, you know, prior yeah. or inherited capital. Like I left home at like 18, 19 with $700 that my parents saved up my whole life for me. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I ended up like working and then spending that and the rest of the money I made from work on a car so yeah. that I could get to work. You I know think what I mean? the central point for this episode is just that you need to work. Everybody's going to work. Right. That's the expectation. Right. You know what I mean? In fact, when someone doesn't work, it feels weird. You're like, wait, what, what do you, what do you do for but, a living? But you also know? going back Socially, to that point yeah. of like, it's not that you're not going to work under another system or yeah. in prior systems, but it's to particularly we're looking at and to dispel the notion of the fact that what we're doing and how we're spending our time and what we're working on currently, it's not voluntary. It's not, it's not democratic. It's not something that we have a say in. It's right. not something that we control or we, because we really don't. We don't have control over our own Yeah, labor. take for example, like the way most corporations function. You know, they have a board of directors usually. You have stockholders and shareholders. And depending on, you know, your stake in the company, that, you know, influences how much say you have in like the financial direction or the investment direction of the company and like at that level, yeah, maybe you have a little bit of democratic sway. But thinking about like the majority of the work f- workforce of a, a major corporation, those people have no democratic control over their work environments, their pay, unless you know they're using a body or an institution like a union. Right. You know what I mean? That's you know something we've talked about in a previous episode. But you know why we have to work is really dictated a lot, you know, like a lot of the the details of why we have to work and the conditions that we work under are dictated by the economic system that we live within. So like yeah. capitalism, you know, it's, it's, we'll talk about it a little bit later on tonight, but you know, it, it, by virtue of it existing introduces a class hierarchy. There's no way like around that. So this idea, this mythology that everything is just voluntary transaction, um, voluntary trade. And if you don't like it, then you can just go find another employer. But the problem with that is like, it's not, 
it's not the end like it's not the individual employers you know what i mean yeah yeah it's the whole system creating right. a market Correct. and normalizing Correct. prices and and capitalists completely understand the class dynamic because they're always in the interest of trying to do price controls or yeah, like yeah. negotiate prices between sectors of industry so that they can basically control the process of profit and normalize it across all people capitalists really don't want competition yeah you know they fundamentally don't there's always this sort of underlying idea that you can just go to a different company right yeah. like that's the propaganda like oh if you don't want to work at this job just go to a different yeah, one yeah if you don't but like here's coke the thing. go to pepsi full full employment quote unquote is 3% like 3% right. of people who want to work are still unemployed in quote unquote full employment right, right. so that means that there's, there's capitalist system, always right. somebody willing to take a job right you know so if you say like pool, no yeah. this is this is fucked i don't want to do this and every job you go to says this is fucked i want to do this it's, congrats you just joined yeah. the three percent of people unemployed i mean it's you know also, there's always someone there to take your place if you exactly. if they need you know? but it's also it's limited it's also limited by other variables like your skill set like say you have a particular skill set you know and it it's, involves mostly retail experience the where you're going to be able to go and move around to, like as, as in terms of your social mobility, is going to be limited Very by your limited. experience. And then if you take, for example, well, we'll probably do an episode on it, but, you know, the university system, especially right. in the U.S. Right. I mean, for me, someone who's going back to school now, it's very, very difficult, you know what I mean, to work full time, you know, and pay for school and do this all on your own. And I mean, that kind of pressure is not always like bearable for a lot of people, especially like people who are like single mothers or, you know, people who are older. Right. Like they don't have the ability to go and back to school and in increase their skill level necessarily. Well, well, and it's like even for someone like me, you know, who has a specialized degree from a university and works in their field that they went to school for with the amount of experience I have or will get over the years, there's a very, very small set of fields I could go into besides the one that I'm in yeah, now. I right, mean, it's yeah. literally like only one other field. And what we were all talking about before too is, you know, when we talk about capitalism, we talk about it in these terms of competition. And we also talk about it in terms of competition for the worker. Like you have all these choices and you can... If you don't like Uber, you can go to Lyft. If you don't like Microsoft, you can go to Apple. If you don't like Coke, you can go to Pepsi, whatever. But the reality is, yes, as you were stating earlier, they're all involved in in and yeah. embedded in maintaining the exact same structure, the price fixing, the whatever, so that realistically you don't have that much choice. And as we had talked about on previous episodes... Yeah, like our food industry. Right, and yeah, as, yeah. as we talked about on previous episodes, like when you talk about competition under capitalism you have to ask what are they competing for and it's total the goal? it's total domination of their sole industry and the further and further away we move from socialism the further the more neoliberal the less regulation the less union power more monopoly. the more and more they get closer to that end goal of monopoly yeah. and that's where we're at today it, it, it feels like companies in general speaking about the whole market always have advantages over the workers. I mean, we've done other episodes on this, but there seems to be this culture where like, for example, you know, there's just little traditions that are always in the company's favor. Mm -hmm. A company can lay you off today. Right. They probably will. They're not going to give you a three-week warning that they're right. going to lay you off. They're going to bring you in the office. They're going to say, hey, you know, the sales are down. You're, you got to kind of get gone. out of here. Yeah. You know, but 
when you want to leave, you got to give them a notice. You know, right. they got to find yeah. somebody to replace you. Yep. We're thinking two weeks is good. It seems like there's a lot of sort of like little advantages that companies mm. get in uh, in in employing people. Yeah. You know, can you guys think of like any others that are kind of like that? Well, I mean, that's a good point you brought up because the deck is already stacked in that point. Because yeah, if you're leaving in a company that you work for, they want two weeks notice. And you not giving them that two weeks notice actually will harm you. Because if, say, your other employer wants to talk to a reference that you have from your current employer that you didn't give two weeks notice to, they're probably not going to leave a very favorable, you know, yeah. review of you as as yeah. a worker. And and all the higher higher like level positions right. require that. Most yeah. of them require three or two references or but, whatever. But I mean, you know? there are so many, you know, laws uh, and cultural norms that I think are inherently anti-worker um, and kind of further the reproduction of this very like work productive culture and mindset throughout the actual everyday American worker. Uh, I mean, and a lot of it has to do with stuff we've talked about on previous episodes, you know, like right to work laws, which allow a worker to get all the benefits of being in a union without actually paying their dues uh, allows for the union to effectively get entirely defunded, yeah. you know? Which seems like when you kind of look at it, like from a neoliberal perspective, it seems kind of like you're getting more choice. Yes. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's really, it doesn't amount to that. What it amounts to is that you're busting up the union. You're, you're disempowering the union mm -hmm. because you're taking away its funding but like on a surface level to like a, a liberal, it it looks like a positive choice because you're getting the option to like pay the union due yes. rather than, you know, have to pay union dues to get the benefits. Right. And it's like it, it's very insidious because you would think like if you're not like if you're not educated on like class analysis and things like that, you would see on on its face. It looks like a good thing, like you're getting more choice. But really, it's just a very insidious way that the capitalist class has come uh, up with basically disinvesting unions and, and um, creating less support for them and less funding. And when it comes to labor, there's like I think there's a lot of changes that you can make even within our current system that would make mm -hmm. workers' lives better. This doesn't require like a communist it's been done revolution. Before. Right. Yeah. Like, for example, um, I just learned a few weeks ago that in Canada, if they change anything major about your job description, like, for example, a schedule. Like if they decide like, hey, you're usually eight to five, but we want to change you from 11 to eight or something like that. Anything substantial that changes like that and even in the job duties themselves, they actually qualify you for unemployment. So if you want to say, no, I don't want to change to an 11 to eight to schedule, the government will actually just give you full unemployment. Whereas right. in the U.S., they won't do that. No. Yeah. Your job is allowed to choice. do anything to you. Right. You can sign an offer letter that says, I do this job. I get paid this much. I do this um, and uh, I work the schedule. They can change every one of those things, including your pay. As long as they pay you minimum wage, they can pay. Your, they can change your pay at any time to anything they want. They have to inform you, of course. But that just creates a weird worker dynamic. Yeah. Where like, what? Like you're at their whim. You know what I mean? They can mm -hmm. just decide like tomorrow. Like ah, actually, we're bringing you down to minimum right. wage. You know, you you accept it or you leave. Well, like, and that's I what it is. I think that's particularly you know the case with i mean i feel like that that i mean that happens all the time but i feel like it's particularly associated with large-scale corporations who mainly back in the day let's say auto manufacturers when they were looking to cut costs would be able to change someone's schedule or whatever it is that their job description was like at the drop of a hat but i think we're in particular where you see that even more nowadays where you see that really you know kind of come to fruition is more in the small business sector 
Yeah. You know, you have a startup or you have a uh, kind of a new company comes along and when they hire their employees or their staff, they kind of sucker you in with the fact that it's it's family owned, it's uh, it's a startup, it's it's all these new innovative things. It kind of makes you feel like you're more connected to it. But with that, they also are able to exert a lot more dominance over your schedule, yeah. how much how much authority you have within advocating for your own labor rights and so on and so they forth. They try to hide the atomization, but in, in reality, it's oftentimes worse in those type of uh, environments because, you know, everybody's heard, like, uh, the old sayings or, like, the memes that are going on or going around on Facebook, like, you know, don't um, skip that vacation because your job will literally replace you. Right. Yeah. You know, take, for example, like, in recent news, we heard about the fucking police literally gunning down that UPS right, yeah. uh, person yeah, right. that was held hostage by uh, burglars or robbers. And they completely just like lit up that that UPS van and, and, and didn't and, need to yeah. do that. Like yeah. they, In the middle of like killed another yeah. civilian. And UPS like, posted a status like immediately after praising the, the fucking thanking cops. The cops yeah. And yeah. literally they would not pay for anything. And I'm pretty sure, like, there was a GoFundMe started yes, right. when UPS should have done the right thing. And as we're recording this episode, they've already replaced that motherfucker. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, they've already hired that dude, someone else. That dude who was killed... For less money. That dude who was killed, regardless of what his... Yeah, exactly. They already replaced him with some temp driver. And they pay less. Too, for less. <laughs> yeah, for less money. Yeah. Guaranteed. Another big thing, too, for me personally, because I work a lot in the HR realm, is um, a lot of the accommodations that are written into law, mm-hmm. like the American Disabilities Act, civil rights um, type of dialogue kind of going on, the, all the legislation in that that area, a lot of it is dependent on not creating an undue burden. So, like, when you're in HR, it's kind of weird because people can come to you and say, like, well, you know, I have this specific disability and then we have to evaluate on our side, well, does this cause a problem for business need? One of the most common ones that I, I get at work is people will say something like, well, you know, I have church services on Sunday, right? And businesses, as long as they can say, mm, that causes an undue burden, you know, we have to schedule somebody else. We don't right. want to do that. They can just ignore those most of those laws. Of course, you know, most yeah. of those laws are written with the business in mind. Like, I think it's interesting because it's like we've we've sort of made like the actual business element of it more important than the people element of it. Like the business will always exist. The people, eh, we can replace them. You know right, what I mean? Like right, it's, yeah. it's formalized right in those laws that well, are true, supposedly yeah. really progressive protections for us, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of different places where people can work. One of the most common, about like 47.5% of people, um, according to the USBA, work in small businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, other podcasts like the uh, the infamous Chapo Trap House have talked a lot extensively about things like small business tyrants, right? right. So um, a lot of people are kind of exposed to the small business culture, and uh, and yeah, like how do we how do we feel about that? I mean, I think the reason the way small businesses are always brought up are very very like advantageously by like the ruling class specifically to rewrite or reorient laws that seem like they would otherwise benefit like small businesses. So yeah. right to work. Would it's like be an, one. I, I look at the small business class as like an incubator for like the aristocracy. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And their ideology. So a few examples of that, though, is not only like right to work being one of those, but also instances in which 
you know, the, let's say politicians. I remember Paul Ryan, when he was still in the house, was yeah. really big on this, would say, we need to cut taxes so that small mom and pop businesses can have a better fighting chance at this, that, and the other. Okay. Yeah. First of all, he doesn't give a fuck about small businesses, but but that does appeal to small business small businesses, owners. Yeah. Because the reality is, if you're a small business and you don't have the money to fund a hundred Harvard law graduates who can work every which way of the United States tax code to make sure that you pay zero in federal income taxes every year and move all of your money around in foreign bank accounts that are completely untracked, you actually do pay a substantial amount of your income in taxes on top of having to pay employers, on top of having to fund your own health insurance, because we don't have a Medicare for all system. Um, Hence why a system like that would benefit small businesses, actually. But... That being said, I feel like the language of capitalism is always coaxed and and spoken about in in uh terminology of small businesses because if they do that, you will always have small business support because you can pick any individual right. small business owner yeah. whether they own a record store or a coffee shop or a restaurant and they will sit there and say, "Yeah, I'm getting fucked yeah, on yeah. my taxes." And when in reality, they're not about to rewrite the tax code to make sure that small businesses pay less taxes, although they might. It's entirely another corporate handout that's masked under this notion of the small business. And that's just to say, I'm not even getting into all the you know complexities and right. and nuance and issues that are with small businesses. I mean, maybe you all have and some. But. It, it's, it feels like small businesses, too, are really good at converting people into being sort of like conservative about like uh, business issues and labor rights and things right. like that. A lot I've seen a lot of people on Facebook, like waiters and things that don't even have like a vested interest in their business, um, at least like capitally, right? Saying things like, "No, no, I don't want the minimum wage to go up. If, if that goes up, they're just going to cut my hours." You know what I mean? There's people yeah. out there who like fully, fully embrace these like capital ideals. You know what I mean? Well, I feel like the small business it tends to make those types of well, small business. I, I mentioned it earlier. I mean, small businesses. Anyone who's ever worked for a small business has been subject to the. It's almost patronizing when you're aware of of how the economy works and how finance works and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You're immediately bombarded with this notion of family. Yeah, we're a family. Yeah, we're a team. You're, we're a mm-hmm. team. We're a family. You're not my. You're not my waiter. You're. You're my. You right. know. You're basically my fucking sister. You know. Yeah. Well, it's like, bitch. If I'm basically your fucking sister or your brother or your aunt or your uncle, Why are you pay, pay me my wages. Pay me some, <laughs> right, right. a real living wage. Exploiting but me. but the average waiter isn't a fucking Marxist, right? Yeah. So like they're gonna they get that oh that dopamine release of yeah. like wow someone likes me and appreciates the work I do and they defend to the hilt someone who is completely fucking them over on a day to day basis. But I think it's important to note like how that hierarchy or that situation of hierarchy is so normalized under neoliberal capitalism. Yeah. Well, and I guarantee all of those waiters before they worked for Joe Schmo's, you know, pub and grub fucking was working at an Applebee's or working at a Carabas or was, some chain and it was yeah. inarguably worse. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it was it was the same thing, just it was for a big corporation. Right. You and they I mean? didn't get that constant, like, you know, pat on the butt of like, hey, good job, man. Yeah, with and with no class analysis, it's easy to like fall into that trap. But yeah. another thing I think is important to mention with that neoliberal sort of rugged individualism is this idea 
that I think a lot of the American working class has been sold that like you can kind of rise through the ranks or obviously we all are familiar with the American dream, you know, right, of course. the American dream is to become a small business owner and, you know, have a white picket fence and a home and a, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's kind of laid into the foundation of what it means to be an American or a successful American is to literally become an exploiter, become like a, a hierarchical class position over some other people or class and and oftentimes like be kind of like con uh, like condescending or gloating right. or uh, about it but what's more than that i think is like what gets the working class to sort of distance themselves in this country at least from any real coherent class analysis is this like rugged individualism that makes people think if they just work hard enough that they'll become a capitalist too like right. that they can just move through these class ranks or move through these class categories like with ease. And so that fundamentally makes capitalism fine or like right. the end of history or like that, that is the only system that works. And I think that is what kind of blurs the lines. It really starts at this small business ideology. Yeah. And I think too, I mean, America itself and the American economy is built on a fairy tale. I mean, we tell stories to ourselves about the way the world actually works. And because of that, Americans have an insane, grandiose level of optimism about where the future is headed and what their place in it is. And also, it, and it especially rings true when we look at the economy. We don't talk about giant moguls of industry as horrid fucking tyrants. We talk about, oh, they they started as this and they, they had rose a good up. idea. Right. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure it had nothing to do with their parents owning a fucking South African diamond mine. <laughs> it had nothing to do with the fact that, uh, you know, they owned like gigantic plantations for years and years and years and used all that like cotton Free wealth to slave labor to, and... to fuel a uh, uh auto manufacturing i only came to um, america with 25 grams of emeralds in my pocket right yeah yeah exactly <laughs> um and and this is the thing it's like i remember in college there was this guy who sat next to me in my calculus class and i actually did be become you know friends with him i actually tutored him in that class and he had like such a deep fascination, especially with Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. And he felt like, you know, oh, they were always civil to one another and they did all this stuff and they had just great ideas and that's how they rose to the top. And he wanted to really emulate them. And it was like a constant struggle. Obviously, like I liked this guy as a person, but like it annoyed the ever living fuck out of me that I'm like, do you not understand like how many people they lied, cheated, undercut, already had a backbone of wealth at their disposal to do all of these things? Same with Zuckerberg. Same with uh, what's his name? Um, Elon Musk. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, Elon all Musk. Them, who I reference. Yeah. yeah, I mean, all of them. They uh, uh Bezos. Bezos didn't. St oh, he started Amazon in his garage. Yeah, with a small loan of two hundred and fifty thousand yeah, yeah. dollars from yeah, yeah. you know, like, come on, yeah, now. You look into even, these even, stories. I mean, and 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 the the place where I think that that was so highlighted and it was used so horrendously opportunistically by the Democratic Party was when Trump said, you know, a small loan of a million dollars from like my dad. Like, that's just normal. But, but yeah. like, the Democratic Party was like, oh, ha, ha, a small loan, as literally Nancy Pelosi sits on a billion fucking dollars, yeah. as their entire party caters to the exact same class in this country. But the it, they had an opportunity to highlight the mentality of, like, what Trump 
is and what he represents of the ruling class of ruling class society in America, which is they themselves believe that they're hard workers. Yeah. 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 They oh. themselves believe that they've been through struggle. When in reality, those people who have been at the very, very fucking bottom and rose to the top are so rare and few and far between, and they're also giant fucking class traders. Yeah. One last thing to hit on. We were talking a little bit about small business owners, right? I feel like the core dynamic is that these people who own these companies are owner operators, right? Yeah. They're people who are every job time, creators. every time, <laughs> yeah, job creators. Every time that you're sitting around for five minutes not doing work, every time that you waste cheese, or that that was actually a complaint. One of my companies I worked at before God. was, uh, oh, Wasting hey guys, cheese. this month there was a uh, thirty pounds of missing cheese. Yeah. Uh, we need you guys to stop snacking yeah. on that cheese in between. Uh, so making abusing the too much coffee creamer in the break room. But these small <laughs> businesses, they take it personally. Every yeah. time something happens where something's wasted, whether it's like justified or not, they take it personally. You know what I mean? When yeah. business gets slow and you're not there to help try to yeah. muster on, they, they, they're they upset. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the thing that's sort of, for me personally, kind of heinous about small businesses. Like Jared said before, it creates like a family environment where like if someone calls you and says, hey, so-and-so called out, I need you to cover a shift. And you say, nah. Right. They, <laughs> they get mad at you. They're right. like, why? Yeah, what are you doing? You like, wanna, what is like, what is going on? You know, what what do you have to do? You know, they look at you as like a number, like as you should just expect yeah. to like want to follow every whim just to get those crumbs. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And once you leave, they'll you know they'll fucking never never talk to you again. But I, I think we were kind of dipping in a little bit to sort of the large business environment. I think like when you're on Facebook and you're scrolling through all your friends and checking out what they've been doing for the last few years, you you tend to see a lot of the ones at big corporations are the ones who tend to brag about yeah. their, their company culture oh, and all that yeah, type of, of shit. When you go on LinkedIn, that's all it is. Just oh, yeah. like, check out this company culture. And you everyone know? else tries to emulate Netflix. that. Well, that's such yeah. a big thing for like neoliberal technocrats. Like they're all concerned about like company culture and like company like um, environments and like all these different like aesthetic things that really don't represent any type of justice yeah, yeah. or anything in terms of econ economics. 36.2% of people work at firms that are larger than 2,500 people. So there's a large portion of the, the workforce that's working in small businesses we already talked about, but there's also a huge portion of people that are working at these large corporations. Right. So like, what what is exactly part of this sort of like idealized company culture and like what are the sort of limitations to that? I mean, I think like you you see this this notion of like company culture, like places like your your Netflixes, your Facebooks, your Google, like they all really emphasize like company culture like extremely heavily. Like, oh, you know, you can play games and yeah. you know you can play video games Table on your, tennis. Yeah, whatever. But the whole point of it is to keep you in the office even longer than you normally would at like a regular desk job, right? And I think there's a lot of places, both private and public, that try and emulate that as much as they can. Which what it's doing is giving the worker the illusion that they have a very open and free and democratic uh, work environment where they can come and go as they please. When in reality, instead of working an eight hour day, they're working a 12 hour day, Monday through Saturday, you yeah. know, and it's it, it's and they think they love their job. Right, exactly. Well, and that's another thing is a lot of people don't know what's happening. And the second that they do become more consciously aware of it as what's recently happened with Google uh, is employees try and unionize, and the second Google finds out about it, they fire all of them. Well, wasn't warning. there wasn't there like a big company recently that I think it was like Samsung or something 
they got their uh, CEO and a bunch of their board members were indicted or something like that in a union busting scandal. Did you guys hear about that? I haven't heard of that, no. I'm not sure if it was But like I mean, Samsung. I mean if you what we just talked about though, trying to have this like particular company culture, but when the workers become aware of it and try and unionize, crack down on it, it's happened with Google, it's happened with Apple, it's yeah. happened with Facebook, it's happened with Blizzard, it's happened with you name it, it's happened. Yeah, yeah. Employee perks are never like a favor. A hundred percent every time you get a new perk, it's because it's means tested and they know it's gonna have a positive impact yep, on, productivity. on productivity. That's all they care about. If there was anything that was actually gonna help you out or wasn't gonna increase your productivity, they don't give they a shit. They're it, never yeah. gonna do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. We've talked a little bit about company culture, especially like large company culture, but there's sort of like a new economy that's being created at the moment. And I was actually pretty surprised to learn that about a third of employees in 2018 had been employed by some sort of gig service, right? right. Like your Airbnbs, your like Lyft, Uber, and, Lyft Uber yeah. and all that type of stuff. Yeah. So what exactly is this gig economy and how does it impact workers? Well, it's kind of like a work as you go type you know, th and again, it's another thing that gives you the illusion of like the independence and yeah. the voluntariness of it. When in reality, a lot you see the rise of it with, you know, again, what someone like Bernie Sanders has been talking about for years and years and years is stagnant wage growth with the downfall of unions, with the advent of neoliberalism. There hasn't been like real concrete wage growth in the United States that has gone on par with productivity for years and years and years and years. And so, these sort of supplemental gig economies are kind of a means to, again, make people feel like, hey, not only do I have autonomy and I'm not working a second job, you know, it's not like yeah. I have to work at this call center and McDonald's. It's it's no, I, I work at this calls. I work at Progressive. And then when I leave Progressive, you know, I got a couple extra hours to spare. I'll, I'll go do some Ubers. I'll do some Lyfts. You know, yeah. that'll pay for my groceries, you know. Yeah. Or my gas. And, and it, again, it gives you this, this false notion of autonomy and continues to reinforce uh, stagnant wage growth. Yeah. Um, yeah, Uber hasn't yeah. increased their, like, pay rate. No. You no, know, no. the more yeah, profitable they come or Lyft or whoever, you know. And the more profitable they become, the they more don't they will to. cut corners. <laughs> yeah, like, they really don't have to if you think about it because, like, the gig economy, quote-unquote, allows them to literally, like, take, like, rapacious advantage of the people yeah. that they quote unquote employee because they really don't even employ the people. Yeah, it's like it's your car. It's, yeah. like an, it's your stuff. Yeah. It's an ad hoc, like you it's kind of like, you know, play as you go kind of thing. And I think the most important like phrase that really sticks out when I think of the, the gig economy is this idea of be your own boss. That's like a huge recruitment driver, rec recruitment like slogan for a lot of these like Uber and Lyft and things like that. Like be your own boss. Yeah. But really, like, it, it, you're not really getting to be your own boss because you're not setting your own fare. You're not right. setting, like, the, the the stipulations of your, you know, routes or you're not choosing your clients. You're not really having any control over any of it. But you're still taking all the risk because yeah. it's yeah. Your, yeah, car your car and it's your repairs that are needed and it's you who's responsible for the guests. And if you lose money yes. on it, then, oh, well, yeah. like, that's it. It's really insidious to think yes, about, like, how how just like brainwashing it is to like get really down and, and dirty with the neoliberal rugged individualist ideology, right. especially in an economic sense, because 
that that type of ideology like evangelizes stuff like yeah. Uber and Lyft and the gig economy. It feels like like it, it feels like it's the next level of like this is uh not right to work, but this is like this is free will. This is like I well, can work whenever yeah. I want and to, it, and, and it, I make money like off of it. It's like fake autonomy. It's yeah. like what yes. Jared yeah. was saying. It's like it's like this fake, uh, artificial sense of autonomy that really tries to obfuscate the hierarchy inherent to capital. It's it's also marketed in a particular way that is also disingenuous. Where it's like, oh, I'm an Uber driver, but I I drive Uber because like. I I want to I want to get some extra money to buy a really expensive gift for my family member yeah. for Christmas. So I'm gonna do some Uber rides or oh I want to do that. Not I literally must do these Uber rides on the side or I will not have enough fucking money to feed my children on yeah. the weekend. Yeah, you know what I mean. Ironically, it's it's actually a better example of extracting value than I think traditional companies are yes, because definitely, literally definitely. you take all the risk like you said yeah. you own the means of production essentially yeah. like you own the car the mm-hmm. only thing the company is doing is just facilitating the exchange right. the infrastructure and because of that they take a cut they get a huge but cut that's, that's, you know what I mean and, and that's, that's like the contradiction with within like this idea of like be your own boss because absolutely fucking not like right. you're yeah. not in any sense your own boss yes. when you do Uber or Lyft. They make money no matter what. You right. know what I mean? Even if you have to drive miles and miles unpaid because like, your last person was too drunk to figure out that yeah. Orlando was uh, fucking 25 miles away from where you are. Right. It's a you super know? It insidious, insidious yeah. malign example of they make like, their money, surplus value extraction. Out. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Precisely. You know, before we even talk more in depth about having a job, one huge element of having a job, of course, is getting a job, yeah. right? And there's a lot of tropes, I think, that go around in memes and things like that that are really true about getting jobs. So, like, what are some common gripes that you guys have heard? Like, for example, just to start off here, I've heard a lot about, like, favoritism. That's one thing yeah. I always hear. And working as a recruiter, I know that's true. I know that, like, sometimes jobs are posted with people in mind. Like, we oh, know absolutely. who we're going to hire. We absolutely. know that person's coming in. Well, there are and all a- types of bias in terms of, like, um, uh, not only minority groups, but, like, a- oppressed people in society. Like, take, for example, we've all heard the situation where there's a woman at work and there's a male counterpart that has the same position as her. When she, when the man emails someone, the uh, customer is less likely to get snippy and angry and uh, doubt their competency when they they think they're speaking to a man. Right. Whereas like they'll they'll go an extra mile. A lot of people to really um, try to invalidate or belittle a woman in a in a posi- a professional position because they think that they can bust them down or break them down. And there are also examples that we've talked about, I think, previously in terms of, like, bias in hiring. Yeah. Like, I think there was a study done, like, I'm not sure, we'll, we'll, uh, if I find it, we can include it in the show notes, but I'm sure people have heard about this idea where, like, if you have a black-sounding name like Jamal, you know yeah. what I mean, or, like, something very, very stereotypical, you're less likely to be called for an interview than someone like a John Smith or, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Just something that's very, that like, study- white. That study's actually been replicated many, many times, and the results are usually pretty consistent, yeah. is that if you have an ethnic-sounding name, you get less callbacks, you know? So you yeah. don't even have access to the workplace, which is probably the well, most anus version of right. of, of oppression in, that we're going to talk about in this episode. Right. You know? I mean, well, also, too, you know, it's like 
I've worked in places before where a job was posted strictly for legal reasons and the person who was going to be hired was already going to be hired, which I mean, is fine in some instances and in other instances it's not. But I think another thing is more, you know, you open a job position and you have 150 fucking applicants and the things that a lot of times companies are looking for are so specific and so nuanced and so detailed that someone who's trying to get an entry level foot in the door is just completely fucked. You know, like there's no way that they're going to really be able to sell themselves. And also too, in terms of people being marginalized, like throughout the process, I mean, I've seen interviews in the past for places I've worked at where the person who was being hired or could have been hired was perfectly capable of doing the job but they had Asperger's or something like that. And therefore their ability to read social cues was slightly inhibited. And because it made the hiring manager feel awkward or because part of the duties of the role involved them being public facing, they wouldn't hire them. And I mean, obviously that's discrimination, right? Like there is, I can't believe Coca-Cola would do that. I mean, there's, (laughs) there's incentives for like capitalists to act that way too which is another part of the problem well think about it if you're hiring for a sales position and there's someone who's extremely qualified to do that or any it doesn't have to be sales any public facing position and there's someone who's perfectly qualified to have done that but maybe they have a particular disability or something or they have asperger's or i'm just using that as an example that makes them have a little bit of difficulty reading social cues but more than for the most part, is still perfectly qualified to handle that. The notion to the hiring person is this person is not going to generate as much profit as yeah. the as an able body as an able body yeah. person, and therefore we are not going to hire them. Yeah, Jared, you raised so many good points. Like earlier, you were kind of like almost saying the 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 phrase that you see on the, all mm-hmm. the memes is like. You have to have experience to get experience. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like fifteen dollars an hour requires master's degree. What happened to the economy? Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And it's like, well, you don't have experience, so that's what we're gonna hire you. What and they can get away with that. Going through like very professional and very needed jobs, they can do that same same excuse, you know? To get back to what you were saying in terms of like discrimination is is like you gotta keep in mind that these are just like normal people. A hiring manager, a recruiter. They're just like normal people. They right, just like yeah. they want to get their shit done as soon as quick, right. as soon as possible. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to cause issues, yeah. and that does create a lot of discrimination because people are cutting corners yes. all the well, time. It's people are just like, ah, we could hire the Asperger's guy, and then we got to tell HR, and we got to find some accommodations, and we got to talk to them about it, and we got to did it. Let's just these hire the other are, person. Yeah, but you know? these things are normalized within like business environments, yeah. especially with your experience in HR, and they become so normalized that people just don't even start to question how they're marginalizing people or how they're, you know, biased or ableist or things like that. But I'm sure all of us have um, seen uh, in the news or issues like that where you have like a company that has like a lot of employees who have Down syndrome or some type of a disability. And then the company like goes public about saying like, yeah, we pay them $250 an hour because we don't feel like their labor is worth right, yeah. That they, of an able-bodied person. A lot of them get like tax kickbacks too. Yeah. you know what I mean. So For it's just employee, like, fill like, it out. Every time you incentive. get a job, like a lot of the times, especially the retail or like um, like a lot of like just regular jobs, like minimum wage jobs, things like that. You actually have to go through a process where they, I, I forget what it's called, but they they ask you if you have disabilities or it's some like disabilities act, and if the company employs you with a with a 
disability, they get some type of a tax write-off or a tax break. I mean, it, that's built into the law. You know right. what I mean? Well, because that's the only way they're going to get them to hire people like that. If that was not in, uh, under capitalism, yeah. if that was not in place, capitalist business owners would be like, fuck off. But we wouldn't need things like that. We wouldn't need these like fundamentally discriminatory things if we produced fundamentally for need rather than right. competition and if profit. If we had a universal jobs guarantee program, which has only ever been accomplished under a socialist system... Any any person who wanted work, who could work, would be given that right. And yeah. you know what's interesting is... But they would be provided for, too, even yes, if they couldn't work. Yes, exactly. And that's that's the thing, is even when they do a lot of like interviews and stuff with people who are... They did like this whole series on BBC, which made me hate capitalism even more, honestly, about people who have a variety of like learning disabilities yeah. or... Social yeah, struggles, I know what you're talking about, yeah. Trying to get employment and like they all so desperately just want to work because they want to feel normal. Like they want to they want to feel like they want to do something. Who doesn't want to feel fulfilled? Right, like labor right. labor is fulfilling, right? right? You know what I mean? When right. you're doing something you want to do of your exactly. own volition. And and so they want that, but like it's such a struggle because the way that our society is structured, what they are able to contribute to a company is not viewed as profitable. But that's because of the intense competition that the that the right. mode of production itself creates. Right. So capitalism, like listeners, you guys have to understand, capitalism is creating these these competitions, these micro competitions, these macroeconomic competitions. When we talk about favoritism in the workplace, workers are competing with each other. That's what we consider atomization and alienation like we talk about in our first episode it feels like the process of getting a job sometimes is so difficult that it disincentivizes you to do it again right once you're in your current role you're like fuck i i especially i do not want to get on the job especially if you like lose your health care because you change jobs you know right yeah that's a big talking point of like bernie's campaign like why you know, why is it fair that you lose your, your medical insurance if you change jobs? Yeah. Like You don't want to take time off to find another job because yeah. that guy, that could be detrimental. All you know of what these I mean? things kill you. are engineered to benefit the ruling class so that we stay in these type of positions right. and even, allow us to be exploited. Even interviewing itself, is, it feels like a full-time job. I mean, a lot of people put in 100 applications and get like two or three callbacks on all these things. It takes time. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. And if you're a working person and you hate your job and you're going to take the neoliberal advice of go find something better, that takes like a serious effort. Like yeah. you have to be disciplined, come home, fill out five applications and then go to fucking bed, get up the next day and do that shit all over again. And, while working, and that's, you know? that's time you could be doing chores, cooking, doing laundry, um, going shopping, all these things that you need to do, but like have to kind of fit it in your your eight hours that I mean, you have. We all know people who have been putting off changing jobs for years. years. Yep. Years. Yep. Every one of you knows somebody who is just like, ah, yeah, I know I hate it and I complain about it every Friday night when we go out to get in beer. But, you know, like, I, I don't, I, you know, I just don't want to really find something else or something yeah, right. else in the area. And that's a pretty common thing. I think we can kind of right. like all relate to that. And I think, too, kind of circling back here is that it creates an environment where like we're, we're kind of cynical like once you have a job and you're in in this this role and you have a title it sort of makes you feel like this is how it should be right like, yeah oh 
yeah, of course you're struggling. You just got out of high school. Yeah, it's going to take you a few years before you've landed right. on your feet. You know, you got to get out there and get We've your experience. normalized it. Yeah, you know? and it completely normalizes this process that feels like when you're doing it, it's just like insane and evil. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's becomes completely normalized. So once you're in a role, you're you're not in any sort of home stretch. You right. know what I mean? There's always going to be constant challenges. And I think one of the huge constant challenges is this sort of like universal idea of scientific management, right? right. That's exactly productivity. Yeah. That's quotas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's like, if you're a cashier, they want you to have seven good surveys before the end of the day. Or, you know, if you're fucking, uh, I don't know, working in a call center, you need to take care of everything within six minutes because if you go above that, that's too long. And right, that's yeah, going to yeah. fucking kill our productivity and stuff like that. So like these, these sort of like, uh, these principles of scientific management really cause sort of like a, a, kind of like a struggle for workers. You know what I mean? Do you guys have any experiences with those? Yeah, I mean, retail. So I've worked in heavily sales-driven retail where, you know, I mean, these, and this was jobs that, you know, you, I was working while I was going to school full-time and why that actually becomes, is actually more difficult and why it really pisses me off when people are obviously like shitty to retail workers and, you know, kind of write them off is because, Retail, you always kind of start as something like I just I need this this paycheck and like I'm just going to do this and it should be easy when in fact the work is really hard, especially when it comes to the fact that you must make sales. And if you don't make sales, the upper, upper, upper management views that as bad management. So they come down even harder on management when sales aren't made, even in times when it's going to be impossible to make the sales goal. And they crack down on the lower level managers who then become ruthless in the workplace because their job's on the line. And so it's overall just a a very uptight, miserable place. The second they see you with your phone, they can send you home. It's, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, that's, it's gamification. It's, it it makes your job a game. It's like, you got to get these numbers. And if you don't get these numbers, we're going to fucking fire you. Right. You're going to go home. But you're a family. And here's these Krispy Kreme donuts that we brought in on holidays. Please come in for the shift. Mandatory pizza party, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, like whatever. So, I mean, I think that's, it's particularly, you know, in, in those kind of jobs, I think in the fast food industry, I think in any of those, I mean, even if you work up the lane, if you're in anything sales related, uh, if you're in anything private sector related, I mean, my field of work in the private sector is very much like that. It's very micromanaged. It's all sales driven. You're a salesperson in my field in the yeah. private sector because you have to say, these are the projects I've worked on and these are how many successes I've had. And this is why you should take our bid for this project. And you, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, your boss is cracking down on your level of productivity because you have to have billable hours. If you don't have money to bill your time to, you know, or you've you've ran it all up and you haven't met all the stuff that was in your contract, then that means your company could potentially lose money. And that could lead to you getting fired. <laughs> yeah. I, I was I found a statistic that said that seventy percent of workers feel like there's too much on their plate. Which is pretty crazy. It's like how do we live in a in a in a supposedly stable economy where 70 percent of people feel like they're doing too much right you know what i mean that's that's insane to me and like i think a lot of this relates back to something we've talked about previously which is that there is a constant need for growth right and that's the idea that like we need to be increasing every year 
we need to be increasing profits by 3%, right? And if you're not increasing revenue, like a store, like a big store, they're not, they know for a fact next year they're not going to increase their revenue by 3%. Right. Walmart knows they're going to make 3% more sales next year. Right. So where do you go? The next thing is labor, right? Right. Well, yeah. like, okay, we've cut the labor down as much as we do. What, what can we do after that? You make people more productive. You know right. what I mean? And this is what pushes these companies for these like productivity quotes. You know, mm-hmm. I was, I was blown away one time a cashier at Speedway, right? Which is a gas station. Yeah. But, they have their workers try to sell these like rewards cards. Yes. And I asked about it one time. And I'm like, the same way, you ask me every time and I say no. And like, you know me, like, why do you, why do you keep asking? And they were like, oh, cause we have to get a certain amount. Like, yeah. like 15% or whatever. I'm making up a number, but this amount of percent needs to be, uh, uh, all in rewards transactions. We need like a certain amount of people to take these rewards cards for me to essentially keep my job. And it's like, that's insane. You know what I mean? They've like, again, made your job a game. You know what I mean? To make life that much more productive. Well, another one too is like because retail sales as a whole are down because of Amazon, basically a lot of retail um, places that you go to, their new huge thing is credit, credit cards, you know, with insanely high interest rates. Any single person you see working in cash register at any fucking employer that a retail giant or company that offers a credit card, they have a quota they make. If they come back and they haven't met that quota at the end of the day, they're getting a warning. If they get three warnings, they're fired. Yeah. Have you ever seen those, like, um, sometimes they give you a survey on the pen pad. Have you ever gotten that before? Mm. There's some stores where, like, when you swipe your credit card, it'll ask you, like, was the cashier nice to you? Right, and it's right, like, right. Yeah. You're, like, awkwardly, like, yes. Like, right. is this person going to get fired if I put no? Like, and that's that's exactly what that is. That's a measure of productivity. That's what it's they're like, doing. You know what I mean? It's like tattletaling. Yeah. yeah. They you want know. the customers to tattletale, you know? It's like the Takashi 6ix9ine of <laughs> right. scientific management. Well, and think about it, too. When, <laughs> when they give out those surveys, even when you go to some, like, a department store, it's like, oh, please take the time to fill out our survey so my manager knows how well I did, blah, blah, blah. The only people who fill that shit out are people who are pissed off. <laughs> people who had a horrible Good experience. Yeah. No one's going to be like, wow, Cassandra helped me so much today find super mario maker 2 i'm gonna take the time to really make sure she gets a good review fuck no no one does that so i i think like productivity is one huge thing that a lot of workers are facing at all times even if they're not aware but another part too is like constant employee monitoring right Right. like a lot of people aren't aware that like your employer can look up like all the activity on your computer at any one point and be like hey well you did this one thing for 15 minutes and that's a that's a write-up right yeah you know what i mean like um, you access Facebook fired. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of your day is spent like being monitored by your employee or your employer. Rather, I think, um, you know, another thing besides just putting like uh, software on your computer to monitor what you're doing is like peer reviews. You yeah. know what I mean? Do you ever get those when you work in a project? Oh, yeah. And people are like, oh, how was Karen? Was Karen right, right, OK? Right. How much work did Karen actually do in this project? And, you know, they're asking the same questions. Yeah, but my thing with that is if you know? all your other fucking coworkers don't put a five out of five, they're a fucking uh, scab, scab or a narc. Yeah, need to be treated like shit in the workplace. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. need that Takashi six nine treatment. I've <laughs> literally worked on projects where someone did absolutely fucking nothing, and I still gave them a five out of five. Yeah. Because guess what? It don't fucking affect me. <laughs> it ain't my fucking money. Fuck off. Bless you. Yeah. Bless you, Jared. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's. That's the thing. It's just, I guess the point of this whole segment is like every little thing at your work is all designed to maximize the amount of value that they're going to extract from you. 
You know well, what I mean? It's like another thing too is even going back to retail, and this is a way that I feel like it, it relates to employees being monitored by their bosses. Is going back to retail, we were always just harped on for if there was shrink, which means yep. theft. Yeah. You know, oh, we have this much stolen from this department. And though those workers working at those times would get reprimanded for it, or not reprimanded in a right like a way where it's like you need to do a better. It would be like, hey, Keep an I eye understand yeah. your work, blah blah. It's like when I worked retail, I didn't give a fuck. What? Oh, I'm sorry. I, you know, my you, you're trying to steal seven hundred and fifty dollars worth of shit from Kohl's. I don't fucking give a shit. You know what I mean? I don't see a dime of that. They're paying me eight twenty five dollars an hour. You know what yeah. I'm gonna do? Eight twenty five an hour. I'm gonna fold these fucking towels. That's what Jared. We're gonna, that's bleep bleep that out. <laughs> that's what Jerome Lafarve is gonna do. That's that's We're what gonna, Jerome Lafarve is gonna Lefebvre. do. Fold these fucking towels. I actually thought that Coles just paid you in like Coles cash. You know what I mean? <laughs> you do get Coles cash. cash. You do get Coles cash on top of your. I discount. wish somebody paid me in Coles cash. <laughs> I wish somebody paid me in. Later. <laughs> Another thing about work is that work doesn't just stop when you clock out. No. Like, I think work has a lot to do with identity and it has a lot to do with your your life sort of outside of work. Like, what you do is going to dictate, or how long you work, for example, is going to dictate a lot about what your life looks like outside of, of, uh, of, of work, of course. Right. Of your labor. So, like, what exactly, or do you guys have any examples where you've seen work tied to identity yeah. before? I mean, well, uh, multiple things. I think... On the one hand, you know, that's kind of the reason why a lot of people go to college. I mean, obviously, they go to college with the intent like, hey, I want to get a degree so I can get a job. But you want to get a specific degree because you want to have a job that is meaningful to you and that you care about and you're passionate about. So in that way, it's tied to your identity, especially considering that when you work a full time job, you spend more time in the workplace than you do with your friends, family. And that's the way it's going to be until the day you fucking drop dead. And so. It's it's very difficult for identity not to be tied to what it is that you do. I mean, but it, it varies for some people. You know, like in my case, like I'm proud of the work that I do. I mean, I like I like what I do for a living. My biggest issues with what I do for a living have to do with fucking capitalism. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not like the actual field of work. It's but, a distribution of resources and who owns, like, who gets to appropriate Right, them. and the reason things get frustrating in my line of work are specifically because of the powers that be set up by extremely corrupt moneyed interests. But, yeah. I mean, what I do, I feel like, is tied to my identity. But I feel like, in that respect, but I feel like even if you hate what you fucking do for a living, if you do it 40 hours a week, it can't. it's inseparable from your yeah. identity because yeah. you spend more, t- you will spend more time working for someone else's money till the day you die yeah then you will ever spend time with your family friends and so on a lot of times the first thing that you talk about you know when you meet somebody especially if it's just like cold like oh hi like my name's yeah. Nathan. what do you do what do you do a lot of the times the first thing you you ask is like what do you do and you mean it in a professional sense like if someone asks me what i do i'm not gonna say like i'm a gamer uh sometimes i'm a podcaster blah 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 no right. i'm gonna be like oh yeah i work in like hr i do a lot of recruiting yeah, type it's stuff. coded you know they're not asking you what you 
care about. Or... And that's such a common conversation. You know what I mean? Like even when I think of you guys, I, I think of like, oh, Jared does planning. Oh, Matt does IT. I do HR. Oh, what a cool balance. We have so many things that we all do. Right, and it's yeah. like, why? Like there, isn't right. there more <laughs> right. to a person than just like what they do during right. the day? I mean, there you know are definitely I mean? a lot more to each of us than like what right. we do. But that's such an easy category for me to just put my like to wrap my well, brain around of, like, think, what we do, you know? And that's a good point. And it's a good thing what Matt just said, because it made me think like, if you like how we know each other is as friends, right? Like yeah. I know you guys based on your interests. I know you guys on what we like to do together in social settings, right? Right. Because that's what defines our connection with one another. I don't think of you as the job that you do. I don't yeah, think of right. Matt as the job that he does. I don't think most people think of other people in terms of what their job title is, but we are conditioned exactly as you just said because of how much fucking time we spend working yeah. when we'd rather be socializing. And and I, we've all been there and like I made these same judgments, so I'm not trying to say that it's a bad thing, but like sometimes when someone comes to you and they don't really have a job, or they're like, yeah, I just kind of bounce around, you know, p- deliver pizzas this week, right. and then I do Uber for like right. a few months. And then or, blah, if blah, they, blah. or if they say I'm an actor. Yeah, yeah. and you kind of yeah. like, and I'm saying this is me. I do I, it too. I kind of look down on them. I go like, oh, you didn't know what you want to do. Yeah, well, okay. Well, but that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's the cool. conditioning of capitalism, yeah. socially, and neoliberal ideology yeah. well, that's and, making and, you do that. And I'm actually glad you said that and you're honest about that because all of us in this room have had that experience. We've all... We're all conditioned be, to yeah. think that way. And, and I... I this is my a thing that pisses me off about the left when they act like, you know, you kind of think having even these thoughts is like classist or class or it's like, I don't know how many times I have to fucking state this shit. And it has to do with when it we're talking about everything from the way we view other people in relation to the work that they do, whether it has to do with race and racism in the United States. You cannot grow up in this system and not have prejudices, biases, yeah, absolutely, yeah, n- negative thoughts towards this person, that person. It's even if you are the most hardened, adamant leftist with the hottest takes possible, you cannot grow up in this system the way that it is. Go through all of its conditioning up to eighteen years old, and then expect all of that to be gone within, like, I don't know, four years, six years of college or something like that. It's just not. It's not fucking possible yeah. it's literally not possible it would take a lifetime of being a leftist to even break ground on like leftist theory and leftist knowledge and you still would not have de- deconditioned yourself from yeah. Yeah. what this thing produces. i mean i think now we can all agree that at least i believe that all labor has intrinsic value all of it yeah. and the productivity of the individual is not tied to their worth right they're separate things and everybody has intrinsic worth to not only themselves but their labor right. regardless of their productivity. Right. But at the end of the day like as we were talking about earlier like yeah, I'm a planner and I like planning. But I like planning in the sense that it's a decent job compared to what a, a lot of other fucking jobs could be. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like at the end of the day I do it to put food on my table and how a uh, housing over my head, Well, that you know? in and itself in and of itself is sort of a competition cuz we like have been sort of bred and conditioned to, you know, see competition as some type of a normal thing when really like a society would be more healthy if we just all viewed all labor as intrinsically valuable. Like you've seen the political cartoon where like the mother is like telling the kid that's looking at a street sweeper to be like, you better go to school or you're going to become that. And it's like little did they know, but that man has or that person has a 
uh, union job and makes a good wage, right. you know what I mean, and and has a good standard of living because their work is valuable to society. Like, and it should be that way. Well, we should think of all labor as valuable, and if we did, our society would be more healthy. Well, also think too if tomorrow all of the garbage workers across the United States or all of the janitors across the United States or what have you, you know, some job that's looked down upon went on strike, went on a massive general strike, it would shut down parts of the economy. Yeah. I mean, it would literally, it would dismember a portion of the United States economy. It would yeah. severely hinder it. It would stop the system from running and operating as smoothly as it normally does. Yeah. If all of the fucking bankers went on strike tomorrow, crickets. Yeah. <laughs> if the ruling class went on strike tomorrow, all of them said, hey, I'm not going to be a CEO anymore. Crickets. Nothing would change because the system is not propelled by those people. It's propelled by those people who say, hey, I'm a this worker, I'm a that worker. That and you do scoff the actual at them. work. Right. That yeah. run the packages, that right. deliver the packages, that take the garbage right. uh, to the dump, that you know, uh, work in hospitals right. and nurses and all these people, those are the type of people that make the world run. Right. Yeah. And to add just a, just a few numbers in here, right? I, I know we love numbers. Right. Um, to to kind of see how being unemployed, not having a purpose can kind of affect your life. Um, Gallup found that you're twice as likely to be depressed if you're short-term unemployed, like under a year you haven't yeah. had a job. And you're three times as likely to be depressed if you haven't had long-term unemployment, like if you haven't been employed for a year, which is is crazy. You know what I mean? If you don't have a purpose, you fall apart. You know, it's very very sad. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of us find purpose through work, which it, in itself could be a discussion for a Sounds whole other time. Sounds dystopian as fuck. Yeah, but that's just the reality because we're all required to do it. Like, therefore, yeah. we have to f we we hold a sense of purpose. But to like what we, we talk, like bringing it back around to like what we initially talked about, like why we have to work. It's not that human beings don't necessarily want to work or produce. And it's not necessarily the case that under a communist society or a socialist society that people would just all of a sudden stop working just because their needs are accounted for in a different type of mode of production People want to work like human beings naturally find fulfillment and and creative power and energy in, you know, producing and, and laboring. Yeah, yeah. Try try laying in bed for a week straight. Right. Yeah. You can't do it. You're going to get up and you're going to get something done. Right. You know what I mean? And that's the type of work that I wish we could do more of. Right. You yeah. know what I mean, the type of shit that like if you didn't have you to pay do. bills, what would you be doing? Right. You know what I mean? Everybody wants to work. Just we don't want to work for like someone who's going to extract all our value well, it's like think about us, it. uh, give us a job that we don't want to do you right know? but even like it, you know say all of our jobs were automated tomorrow and we lived in a fully automated gay luxury space communism <laughs> you know all of us have played in bands before playing yeah. music getting guys together to write shit and play in front i mean that's a form of labor yeah you know what i mean like but it's it's something you're willing to put time to and and put the time in because it's something you enjoy. It's a form of labor you enjoy. I mean, this podcast is a perfect example. Yeah. We're not making any fucking money <laughs> yeah, we're off not, of it. We're not making money off well, of I mean, this. Well, I mean, George Soros bucks. Right, well, yeah, besides yeah. That, George yeah, Soros yeah, yeah. helps out. But, but, I mean, it's like, and this, this shit is time-consuming. It's not easy to do. Yeah. We're all like, oh, we got to sit here and write this fucking outline. You know what I mean? But, but it's like, it. but when we get together <laughs> and we're riffing on shit and we're talking leftist politics and even just having those few people comment and be like, damn, like I learned a lot from this or I really yeah. enjoyed this episode. That's 
yeah. keeps us chugging the fuck along, yeah. you know? So it's like humans are innately that way. Like they're going to do things whether or not their engineering job gets turned over to a machine or what have you. They're still going to find a means to continue yeah. laboring. There's value in it regardless of like a value form or like a money or a currency. Like, uh, you know, people don't always have to be incentivized by money. Like oftentimes people, especially like in creative fields, like the money is like nice, but it's really like the last thought. I mean, it's the dream to be able to make a living off of your art. Something you love. But yeah. most artists will tell you they don't go into that yeah. to make a living off of it. They go into it because they love it. They were already doing it when they got yeah. famous, you know? I think we've talked a lot about identity. So another aspect is sort of the side effects of work. So right. what are some side effects? Like, for example, I was thinking of, like, stress. We all have faced work stress before. Yeah. An Everest College survey found that 83% of American professionals are stressed out at their jobs. So um, I've also seen other studies that have said that stress is more likely to cause you to yell at loved ones, get into accidents, um, use some sort of healthcare service, like usually mental health services, or miss a day of work even, so you become less productive. Um, so like, what are some examples of times where uh, your job is going to have some sort of side effect on your on your your other life? I think that in my field, I've noticed there's, especially in the private sector, a lot of alcoholism because I think, I mean, look, I'm not, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Not, not necessarily being an alcoholic. We're but drunk like, right now. Yeah, right, right. But it's <laughs> like, really. it's like, hey, I don't have to work tomorrow and I worked this insane work week. I'm going to fucking get drunk. You know what yeah, I mean? Or decompress, something. Yeah. So Which is in and of itself a market drive. Right. Like it's, it's intentional. All of these things are engineered intentionally right. to create conditions. Right. And, and, um, but I've seen a lot of alcoholism, a lot of depression, a lot of substance abuse in my field, primarily in the private sector, but I've definitely seen it in the public sector too. Um, when I was in grad school, I felt that that was kind of how my life was. Anytime I had any free time, I was spending it getting drunk, doing shit I shouldn't have been doing. Not because thinking. Just basically. because you're so everything possible in your body has been spent. You know what I mean? Like you've spent every brain cell you fucking have trying to, you know, get through the work week or get through school or whatever so that you can be a productive member of society. Um, and I think you see that across the board in a range of fields. People who suffer from a lot of depression or a lot of anxiety. I mean, think about it. If you work a 60, 70 hour work week in the private sector as a planner or an engineer or something, you're not, you don't have a lot of time to like come home and decompress. You don't have a lot of time to do stuff around, you know, your house. You might have like a super messy living space. All this shit, like it fucks with you long term. Yeah. It fucks with you heavily long term. The other thing I wanted to mention in addition to like work stress is sort of this unsaid thing that, a lot of workers are cognizant about but don't really know how to verbalize. It's just how normalized like the hierarchy and oppression is mm -hmm. that we don't even consider it oppression anymore. Like we have these ideologues, libertarians and so on and so forth that tell us, oh, if you don't like your job, just go find another one. You know what I mean? As if like the conditions aren't reproduced across the entire spectrum based on the economic system and for w for which we you know, produce and distribute commodities for. Yeah. So it's like this this unsaid thing that kind of obviously everybody has anxieties about. Like even you can kind of sense it like in your employer sometimes too. Like I know that 
the employers are cognizant that they're like literally reaping surplus value from you. You know what I mean? Right. Especially in my company where it's like a lot of the stuff that like any of the management or like the owners do, I do too. And so I think it's clear to them how, you know, I could easily just break off and make my own company had right. I had the capital to do so. Well, in a lot of like special, like in a lot of professions, you know, like something you like, let's say engineering, right? The further up the chain of command you go, the less work you do because you delegate it to more underlings. Right. Yeah. I'm no longer, I've worked my way up. I'm the manager. I no longer have to work the 70 hour week. I'm going to take the fresh out of a college kid and make him do it and teach him a, teach him a, about hard work, and you know, and that's going integrity. Back, that's going back yeah. to what I was saying earlier is like, it sort of reinforces itself because like once you've been through the whole rigmarole, yes. you look back at it and you go like, well, if, if I you want to get to it, where you do it, you're going to go through it, it You have to do it. Right. It, yeah. it justifies yeah. the It's like a badge system. of honor. It's like a bullshit badge of honor that people keep, you know, using to reproduce the ideology and jam it down other people's throats as if it's just normal. And I think another thing too is like what we don't realize throughout this entire process, like while we're while your managers are delegating and while you're slaving, you know, all these hours putting towards, you know, some some shit you probably don't even really care that much about. You're not realizing that like the amount of work that you're putting towards something is strictly driven to generate a massive profit. You don't have to work that much to get the same thing done. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hierarchy. You, you want to build roads and bridges, you know, through estate planning, you know, through state planning or something like that. It doesn't require 80 hours of work. You know, it only requires that much when you're a contractor who has 20 different fucking jobs going on at one time and that happens to be one of them and you need it to get done, you need it to, to get closed so a new project can be taken on so you can make more money off of yeah. that. I mean, it's the amount of work that we put ourselves through is specifically for the pro productivity of the system. It has nothing to do with the general welfare of the public. It has nothing to do with our own welfare and well-being. Or the general wealth of right. like, the individual who is producing right. it. Right, and the more that you work and the more you damage your body and all that stuff, you are not actually seeing any of the benefit. Yeah. The only potential thing that could kind of sort of materially benefit you but certainly not nearly to the degree of the bosses or the managers or any of that stuff is that you hope that your excess work gets noticed and maybe five fucking years from now you'll get a promotion or something like that yeah but that's about it especially like libertarian types or like right-wing people you know when they say oh you put the hard work in and you work your way up or something even if you do land that promotion you get that extra 10 grand a year or something you killed yourself to do that so that you can what? Oh, yeah, that $10,000 extra a year or something. Divvy that up amongst a 12-month time frame. Yeah. That's yeah. not that much money. You know, you're not really, you're not materially benefiting nearly to the degree that the person who owns the corporation or owns the company is just by working all those excess hours, putting in that extra And time. like by like, by market logic, sometimes it's just like, a lot of people like to say like, well, you make more if you're, if you have more to offer right you know what right. i mean that seems to be the sort of like general like zeitgeist of how it works it's like yeah of course a doctor makes 300k a year right that's what they have to offer you know it's worth 300k a year they wouldn't make that unless it was worth it right mm -hmm. and like i feel like that's like it's so misguided you know what i mean like it, it's kind of like what we said before is like even if you're flipping hamburgers like somebody's gonna be flipping hamburgers right shouldn't they have a living wage right you know like why are we gonna like 
play with this. Well, like, let's why... go further than the living wage. Shouldn't they own the value <laughs> that of they it? produce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's two <laughs> elements to this. I think like there's a lot of changes that we could be made like within our system to make life just better as is. And then there's just changing the whole system like into socialism. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And so like I think there's a lot to be said about that, and we don't have a a huge amount of time to discuss it. Right. But like, what are what are some sort of changes that you guys feel like might sort of help out our system, or what are some things that might be a little bit different in socialism? I think one. Yeah. I mean, it's it's been talked about so many times throughout previous episodes. Even brought up in this one already is, you know, in a socialist society, having workers own their own labor, um, meaning that the wealth that they produce is equally along with other workers is equally distributed amongst you know what it is that they're doing so the work that they're doing is contributing to a guaranteed right to their housing their health care their you know the basically the reproduction of their labor and their well-being long term not short term not to make ends meet for you know the certain you know allocation of money that's put towards them by a capitalist owner or something but the fact that they actually own the wealth that they produce, they see a genuine material benefit from it that is long-term and uh, uh, has longevity towards it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I hope to see a removal of like meritocracy or bureaucracy. I want to see, you know, an economic system that functions under the pretenses of um, from each according to their ability to each according to their need. That's really what how I see it, and I want the workers to own the means of their production and reap the value without any hierarchical structure taking a surplus, mm-hmm. you know, or extracting a surplus value from them. And that that could also mean too, like you know, if if their needs are met, you know, if you're a worker working towards, you know, say in a socialist society, work, uh, you know, working for you know, building roads and bridges or something like yeah. that. When the bridge is built, go home. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it's not like there there has to be this constant maneuvering of like over and over and over again working these excess hours, which is all profit-driven, yeah. you know? Even on like the larger basis, like it, the one of the things that will never escape in capitalism, as we said in previous episodes, including earlier in this episode, is like you need that constant growth. Like right. we need to get outside too. of that paradigm of like, once the bridge is finished, do we need to find another right. bridge to build? Right. Do we really need the extra bridge? Right. You know what I mean? Like, why does it seem that whenever the work is done, there's always more work to be done, and it just compiles well, faster and faster, right, grows right. exponentially right. how much work needs to be done? Right, like, right. isn't there a point where we can say, like, all needs are met, let's just chill out a you little bit? You have to think about the goal, like we talked about earlier. Like, capitalism, what is the goal of competition? You know, it trends, like, throughout history, we've seen it repeatedly trend towards monopoly. The goal of capitalism is not to, you know, be fair to all these like individuals who are trying to compete in a market. The 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 point of competition is to win. Mm-hmm. The point of competition is not to be equal. Right. Like that's the fundamental thing that people need to understand. Like when we're producing for profit to compete with other people, to compete with other private firms. You know, we're not pr- we're, we're producing for the wrong reasons and it alienates us because we see this hierarchy or we s- come to see this hierarchy as some type of innate or some type of an inherent structure in society when it's really not like capitalism is like very 
very artificial. Like it's it requires coercion. It's also very new. And it's also very not voluntary in mm -hmm. any sense of the word. It begs the question of so many different things. You know, what what would a socialist society look like long term? You know, what what are these alternatives? And obviously that's a very difficult question and one that we don't have all the answers to. It certainly would be a struggle for yeah. a long time transitioning. It certainly would reorganize the entire class structure that we have currently in the way wealth and power is distributed throughout a socialist society versus a capitalist one. And, you know, we could talk about things like automation and all that sort of stuff and how it might impact. But I mean, I think that if you're working to complete a need, instead of having, say, a planner who would normally work a 40-hour work week or a 50 or a 60 or a 70-hour work week, depending on whether they're public or private sector, they might only need to work a 20-hour work week or a 15-hour work week. And they're still contributing to the society in which they live. They're still being a planner. They're still being an engineer. They're still being a trash worker. They're still being these things that they feel might give them purpose. But they will also have far more time to spend in social settings, building social labor and social capital amongst you know, a community amongst themselves. Yeah, and then the removal of hierarchy too, like it would make society more socially cohesive and it would allow people to actually develop real bonds and real, you know, solidarity with each other rather than competing with each other, looking at each other for just what they do, um, basing people's identity and how much respect you should give them based on the money that they make and just different things like that. But ultimately, um, it's just a matter of like, the hierarchy. We need to have people understand that there is innate hierarchy within a capitalist system, but hierarchy in and of itself is not innate to production and the way that we can satisfy our needs for commodity in society. And I think, you know, from those pretenses, people just need to be more uh, skeptical about the mechanics of the way capitalism functions on a macroeconomic level. Like, Think about these things when people tell you them like it, it's just voluntary. It's just free trade. Like you just hate free trade. Like you hate free enterprise. Yeah, you yeah, hate you free hate... enterprise. I mean, it's it's so much more than just these sound bites, these black and white assumptions that really like ideologues and mythologizers tell tell yeah. you and reproduce in culture. But but be speculative about these things because there there's always a benefit to ideology. It's always benefiting one person or one group of people over another. But I think it's time that the workers owned what they produce. Like the workers built society. Let's be real here. Mm -hmm. So we should own it. Wrap it up. Good. You wrap it up. I'm going to wrap yeah, it up. Yeah, you wrap it up. You started it. You, you let it. You started it. Wrap it up. It. It. Wrap it up. Like, with that, you know, yeah. we want to thank guys, you. With that, guys, please, please check us out on the Facebook.com. Yeah, at, at we're entry there. level left. The entry level left. On you Twitter. can check us out on the Twitter as well. The at, Twitter. At the at at the entry level. It's just left. at entry level I'm keeping left. Keeping this in. We're not redoing yeah, this. Fine. This is gonna sound <laughs> it's just like this. at entry level left. We have um on our Facebook, the entry level left. You can look us up. We have um in our about me section, it's uh link tree. Anything you want to find from us is in that link tree. Any link to anywhere you want to listen. If you listen on like iTunes or Apple, please rate and uh, give us a review if possible. That really helps our podcast. We do have PayPal. Uh, we have a Patreon. 
that um, if you're interested in supporting us monetarily so we can keep you know, making these episodes for you guys. Make our workplace yeah. that much better. Yeah, you make know? our workplace better. Allow <laughs> us to own the means yeah. of our own labor. Yeah, essentially just give us money. But <laughs> yeah. um, um, with that, guys, we want to thank you for listening to the Entry Level Left, and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you.